0: and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I mentioned on an earlier broadcast that I'd recently been to France on holiday and making plans for the trip my wife and I discussed the need for a visa As a Bahamian citizen on past occasions, I needed a visa to travel to Europe. I believe it was called a Schengen visa. This allowed me to visit several European countries as a tourist. So as was expected of me, I approached my laptop computer and gave it the question, do I need a visa to enter France as a tourist? And if so, where do I get one? A few items appeared on my screen. One was a release describing the formal signing ceremony when the Bahamas signed on to some treaty that would allow Bahamian citizens to visit France as a tourist. Well, as exciting as this was, my cautious nature took over. My subconscious mind told me that it would be awful if we arrived in France with our traveling companions and I was stopped at the border with a Bahamian passport that did not allow me to enter the country. I needed more. So I looked up the address of the nearest French embassy, which happened to be in the US, and put my question to them in writing. I sent the email hoping that I had the correct address and my email would arrive on the right desk that I would receive the confirmation before we left for the UK and then France. I'm pleased to say that about a week later I received a reply from the embassy indicating that, as a Bohemian citizen, I required no entry visa, only my valid passport to enter France as a tourist. I printed this email and gave it to my wife to file with our passports just in case we encountered a junior immigration officer who may not have been aware of this wonderful news, who might be stumped by my Bohemian passport, which would not be the first time in my history that such a thing happened. I'm sure that the border Officers do not see many Bahamian passports on a day-to-day basis, but I wanted to be absolutely sure when we arrived in France. Well, we eventually arrived at the appointed day, and our friends loaded our suitcases with ours and some food in the back, and we drove from Cardiff to Portsmouth, England, and drove on to the huge Brittany ferry boat for a journey across the English Channel to the French port of Cannes. It took us about six hours. Late afternoon, we drove off the ferry and we were in France for our long-awaited trip. But I still had a nagging feeling of concern. We still had to face the border guard. Well, we drove up to the barrier and my friend, who was the driver, handed over our passports. The guard looked at each one, one after the other. He looked into the car to identify the holder of each passport as he came by them. There were five of us in the car. Three UK and our Bahamian passports. I realized I was holding my breath. Before I continue, though, here's our first song call. The god say Bahamas and I knew he had my passport. He conferred with his mate in the little booth, and handed the five passports back to us and said in French, Welcome to France, enjoy your visit. My friend accepted the passports and said Merci, to which the officer responded, revoir, and we were off for a week, free to roam and explore the French countryside without restrictions. Well, I confess to you, I found myself releasing the breath that I had been holding without realizing it. And as we drove off, I thought how different it would have been if the Allies had not defeated Hitler, and that France had become a satellite of Nazi Germany. No such freedom of movement, constant fear, not being able to trust anyone. With a debt of gratitude, we all owe to the soldiers who gave their lives so that we might all have this wonderful freedom and liberty that we so often take for granted. And how different when we are called to glory and we enter the pearly gates with the blood-washed robes, with a passport stained with Jesus' blood, naming us as God's children, and not only that, but heirs to the kingdom and all the riches of heaven, joined heirs with Christ our Savior, never to no want to spend an eternity in heaven because of what Jesus did for us under serving sinners. There will be no anxiousness at the gate, and we will be ushered in without money, And without price to worship our God forevermore. And now, with this message for today, here's our pastor,
1: Alan Lee. Good morning and greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ once again. As we pointed out last time, the legalization of abortion in the Bahamas has risen once again due to the proposed introduction of stem cell clinics here. This is so because embryonic cells which are considered to be the most desirable cells to be used for healing purposes, uh, are taken from the early stages of the embryo, a procedure that kills the developing fetus. The fear is that a desire to maximize the financial benefit of stem cell therapy, unscrupulous doctors and uncaring mothers would demand abortion on demand to enrich themselves by mass production of aborted babies. The Christian and biblical perspective, of course, is that killing a fetus or embryo is murder because it is a human being made in the image of God from conception. Now, the root of the abortion question is not whether or not it is sociologically useful, that is granted, but whether or not it is ethical or moral to redefine human life as is presently being done by pro-abortionists. And so, the real issue behind the intensely emotional debate of abortion and the removing of cells from a human embryo is, in the final analysis, what is a human being? Or, how is the value of a human being determined? And when does human life begin? All of these questions are involved in these issues. Listen to the following statements, for instance, made by certain prominent pro-abortionists in the US. The concept here, what I will describe, is being evident right now in the Bahamas as well. Garrett Hardin, who is an eminent biologist says, and I quote, people who worry about the moral danger of abortion do so because they think of the fetus as a human being, and hence equate feticide with murder. Listen carefully now to the rest of this quote. Whether the fetus is or is not a human being is a matter of definition, not fact, and we can define it any way we wish. That's taken from the Journal of Marriage and Family. Listen again to Harvey Cox, a well-known theologian. This is what he says, and I quote, Secular man's values have been deconsecrated, shorn of any claim to ultimate or final significance. They are no longer the direct expression of divine will. They have become what certain people at a particular time and place hold to be good. They have ceased to be values and have become valuations. End of quote. That's taken from his book called Secular City. A leading feminist as early as 1971 said this, and I quote, Fetuses are not human beings. A human being ought to have more brains than a puppy dog. End of quote. A prominent Bahamian doctor boldly and unashamedly described the fetus in the mother's womb as not being a person, but rather an unneeded, an unnecessary parasite, which the mother could destroy without losing anything important to her, like an appendix or a tumor. That's from a Bahamian doctor. Now, it is scary, to say the least, to see that this arbitrary approach to the defining of human life and the value of that life is already being demonstrated here in the Bahamas. The dangerous implications of this humanistic approach is clearly spelled out by ethicist Daniel Callahan in his book entitled Abortion, Law, Choice, and Morality. Here is what he says, and I quote, a power group society could, by the use of this principle of defining humanists any way they wish, to define the chronically sick, the senile, and the elderly as non-human, and thus justify the taking of their lives on the grounds of social good to be obtained. End of quote. Again, I say this attitude is already being shown here, with respect to many prominent doctors, with respect to abortion. However, one is amazed at the loud silence of most social behavior scientists when it comes to this issue. The Christian who accepts the Bible as the Word of God, however, believes that human value is inherent within each human being from his or her very moment of conception. Mankind has value because he is created in the image of God. This basic truth, my friends, is taught throughout Scripture. According to Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, man is a spiritual being because God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being, which is a body animated with the life-giving breath of God himself. The Bible views the fetus as a human entity as well. Life is seen as a continuum of conception to death and with a growth in or diminishing of value. It is the same sacred human life from beginning to end. Isaiah 49, Job 10, Psalm 139 makes this quite clear. I'll just read from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1. The prophet says, Coastlands, listen to me. Distant peoples, pay attention. The Lord called me before I was born He named me while I was in my mother's womb, in other words, as a fetus. He made my words like a sharp sword. He hid me in the shadow of his hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow. He hid me in his quiver. Verse 5. And now, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord." And my God is my strength. The prophet is saying that God regarded him as a human being in his mother's womb. Now, as we stated last week, the Bible also teaches that the human race is a biological unity. Acts chapter 17 verse 26 says this, From one man God made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them, and the exact places where they should live. Now, this would not be true if each life was a distinct out-of-nothing creation by God. This means that man's breath, which is associated with life at the creation of Adam, is a manifestation or evidence of life, not the beginning of life. Even as leaves are the evidence of life in a tree during spring and summer as compared to winter, when it lies dormant, but it is alive nonetheless. This has always been the view of the Christian church, historically speaking. You see, the church has always viewed aside as murder, always. The commandment not to kill in Exodus 20 refers to willful, premeditated, malicious taking of a life, and so it actually means, as validated by the Hebrew word, thou shalt not murder. The only exceptions to these commandments were legal executions, killing aggressors in war, and self defense. Feticide is nowhere in Scripture given as an exception, and neither has the Christian Church ever endorsed such a view. Feticide is a violation of the seventh commandment Thou shalt not murder. Now, let me share an amazing and troubling truth about abortion in the Bahamas. Some years ago, 1994 to be exact, when I began my initial research on the issue of abortion and its status here in the Bahamas, I learned a startling and extremely troubling fact. Not only did I learn that, in spite of the fact that, technically speaking, that is, according to the letter of the law, abortion on demand is illegal in the Bahamas, it is nonetheless quite readily and routinely performed in most, if not all, of our medical facilities." I was told this by both doctors and nurses, and by those who have had first-hand experiences of such practices. Of course, they say, these medical procedures that end the life of a living fetus is not always recorded as abortions, but as some other medical necessity, such as DNC. However, the most startling revelation was to learn that, in spite of what it appears the law says, the Bahamas has one of the most liberal legal possessions on abortions anywhere in the world, including the United States, where millions of babies are aborted everywhere, as well as Canada and Great Britain. Now, this was the actual conclusion of a lawyer associated with one of our most respected legal firms in the Bahamas, whom I asked to look into the legal status of abortion in the Bahamas before I spoke about it. Here is a part of his conclusion, and I read now verbatim from the report, quote, My research has revealed that the only law with regard to abortion is, as contained in chapter 77 of the Bahamas Statutes, the Penal Code, referenced to section 316, will reveal that any intentional and unlawful abortion is strictly illegal. Now, this position appears forthright. However, Section 330 makes the nature of the offense clear. By this section, it is clear that if the abortion is deemed to be illegal, both the practitioner, that's the person procuring or performing the act, the doctor, as well as the pregnant woman, can be charged with procuring an illegal abortion and liable for up to 10 years' imprisonment. End of quote. Now let me pause for a moment. Doesn't that sound great? Many would say that's the reason why we don't have clinics that specialize in abortions in the Bahamas. It's against the law. That's why abortion is not in the Bahamas, some would say. But is that truly the case? Listen to the rest of this lawyer's finding, and I quote again. Section 334 provides for what may be deemed a legal abortion. It only calls for the abortion to be done in good faith for the purposes of medical or surgical treatment. The phrase, in good faith, is in itself both subjective and ambiguous. It is subjective in that one person accepts as an act of good faith and may be completely different from another. Listen carefully now as the lawyer continues, and I quote from his report. This provision makes any doctor perform abortion legal in the Bahamas. Did you get that? This is from a lawyer's firm now. This provision makes any doctor performed abortion legal in the Bahamas. In good faith, I'm still reading from the report, has no tangible meaning, and there's no call for special extenuating circumstances, nor any psychological examination, as in the case of many jurisdictions. Therefore, any doctor sanctioned and perform abortion is legal if he or she does it in good faith end of quote now my friends this was such a startling and unbelievable statement that i feel compelled now to read the exact words of section 334 of the penal code to allow you to hear the words for yourself i quote now any act which is done in good faith and without negligence for the purpose of medical or surgical treatment of a pregnant woman is justifiable although it causes or is intended to cause abortion or miscarriage or premature delivery or the death of the child, end of quote. That's the exact words of the penal code. Now, I personally detect a redundancy in the terms abortion and the death of the child because they are one and the same, but that's how it's stated in the code. But listen now to the conclusion of the legal finding by these legal experts, quote, It is therefore my opinion, says this legal firm, that the Bahamas has more liberal abortion policies than most of the known world. Not only does the code not call for any psychological evaluation or extenuating circumstances, it does not place any time period by which an abortion must be performed. End of quote. My friends, this means that an abortion could be legally performed in the Bahamas on pregnant women right up to the time of birth if it is done by a licensed doctor acting on his or her own personal good faith. Now, do you see why abortion on a man is not a problem in the Bahamas? It's already a reality, but under a false guise of being illegal. That's why it's not a problem for those who counsel unwed teenagers. Abortion is as easy to be obtained as any contraceptive by teenagers today, all you have to do is find a doctor who is willing to perform the act of killing an unborn human being in good faith while in the mother's womb. And so to such doctors who may be listening, I paraphrase the words of Christ. What shall it profit a doctor if he or she gains the wealth of the whole world at the expense of killing one human being? My friends, if there ever was a law that needs to be changed in a professedly Christian country is this one having to do with abortion. We are going through a social revolution here in the Bahamas at this time, especially this whole focus now on stem cells research and so on. It's a time of transition in which godless philosophies, mores, and concepts are being pushed and forced upon us from both the media and humanistic-based social programs. Christians must know how to detect these insidious attacks and respond to them with the word of God and with a godly lifestyle. We must not allow our saltiness as Christians to be diluted by compromise or accruciance to non-biblical and non-Christian worldviews. In the words of the Apostle Paul, we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And in the words of the writer of the Hebrews, By taking captive every thought that invades our mind that is contrary to the Word of God and making them subject to the Word of God through our obedience. My friends, the Christian's worldview is based upon and derived from the Word of God. To be otherwise is to deny our faith and trust in Christ. Like Peter, I say, we must always respond with reference to Christ. To whom shall we go? Thou alone has the words of eternal life. As always, this is Basilis saying, Sila, think and act on these things.
0: Address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as Echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout. Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon.
2: There forevermore to stay. A little longer in your struggle over sin, trust the great commander's promise, he will surely come again, I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. be over. all our sorrow and its pain it could happen in a moment jesus christ could come again